Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. What you want to do is you want to get into the mindset of the person you're talking with. What is it that they value? What are the problems that they face? What are the issues that, that they need resolving in their world? And once you understand that, if what you offer can help them, then you can offer it to them, not, hey, I'm trying to sell you something, but, hey, I know what your problems are like. I've done this before. Would this help? This is just one of the many great bits of advice that today's guest mentor, David B. Horn, shares with us. And I have to say many because when we go through the intro into David's career journey, and it's a bit longer than usual, it's longer for a reason because it's just full of the so much great experiences, moving between various countries, from North America over to Europe, working in different industries, uh, working with large corporates, entrepreneurs, uh, funding businesses, acquiring businesses, growing businesses, exiting them. Uh, also some work he's done on a foundation, how he went about writing and selling a, a best-selling book. Just you'll find that through every part of the conversation there's something we can take away as an audience. Uh, some of the key points that we do discuss is how to overcome inertia that we sometimes have as professionals or leaders. You know, when it comes to engaging with business leaders, business people, stakeholders, and why we have to get to know them and the importance of asking them what they want. How we can also get ready to prepare with and deal with more intense environments, particularly for those considering embarking on careers in private equity, corporate finance, or banking. And we also deconstruct the methodology underpinning David's book called FACE, which is Fund, Acquire, Consolidate, and Exit. And um, towards the end of the show, we go to an awful lot of great resources, which are, of course, trapped in our show notes, uh, that are linked to them as well. So if you want to go and check those out, they're at sitnshow.com slash podcast slash 194. And it's a bit of a longer than usual podcast. I was very selfish about taking David's time on this one. And again, really appreciate him giving so much and entertaining us by sharing so many fantastic experiences. So look, as always, really appreciate you investing your time in the show and with us today. And of course, if you find anything useful that might help your friends or colleagues, please don't forget to let them know about the show share with them and you can also subscribe on the major platforms iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and YouTube. So that's enough from me. So without further ado, over to David and the show. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. So David, look, we, we've spoken previously, we sort of got to know each other a bit, but maybe your audience uh, might not be as familiar with your background. So would you mind maybe give us a brief introduction to your uh, career journey in finance? Absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm originally from Canada, hence the accent. Um, although occasionally I get, uh, I get told people think I'm Irish, but not like you. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I trained as a chartered accountant with PwC, um, moved with them from Canada to Switzerland, uh, spent two years in Switzerland with PwC and then got a job offer from my biggest client, which I joined, spent four years with them in Switzerland and then was able to transfer with them here to London. So I moved to London in 1993 and have been here ever since. Um, spent another 
five or six years in, in big corporates with AT&T and the BBC, and then started moving into kind of smaller companies, more entrepreneurial businesses. I was with a, um, a New York-based PR agency group that had just expanded into Europe, and um, I was recruited as their European CFO and um, spent two years working with the European chairman. Uh, we had a brief to build an agency network in Europe by acquisition, and we had New York's checkbook. So that was quite a lot of fun. And in, in, in two years, we bought seven PR agencies in uh, the UK, Belgium, and Germany, did a lot of integration work in Germany, merging agencies together. I'm a fluent German speaker, so uh, that worked out quite well. And uh, we were merrily going on looking at other acquisition targets when our parent company got bought out by Interpublic Group. And we were merged into Weber Shandwick, which was IPG's uh, PR brand. And they were way bigger than us. So once the integration stuff was done, I left um, and uh, launched a consulting business, which was an interesting start. This was 2002. And um, I'd never been a consultant before. I'd never sold anything before. I'd only worked in finance. So it was, it was quite an eye-opening experience. But I, I had two uh, significant opportunities uh, that, that came about both due to my uh, experience in the PR industry. One was a couple of the guys whose agency in Belgium we had run, sorry, we had bought um, uh, uh, it was about a year after I left and they contacted me. They, they really hated the new owners. IPG was a very bureaucratic company, whereas the company I'd been with had been quite entrepreneurial. And, uh, I worked with them to get everything set up so that there was a company ready to launch. So that as soon as their restrictive covenants were done, um, uh, we launched the business on the following day and built that up over the next seven years to be a business that turned over just under 5 million euros. And we sold that in 2010 to Edelman, one of the big global PR agency groups. So that was one strand. And the other strand, I was introduced to a man who had launched a cash shell on AIM. And uh, he had a very clear buy and build strategy. He had been the chairman of a FTSE 100 company and had moved to non-exec chairman and decided in his spare time, he was going to set up this, this AIM business. And um, so I, I was introduced to him by one of my co-directors at the PR agency who happened to sit on the board of the FTSE 100 company. And uh, we, we had a few meetings and then one day I got a phone call from him um, asking if I was still doing consulting and I was and he said, well, can you come in two days a week? And I said I could and within about four weeks it was can you work four days a week and within three months it was can you join us on a full-time basis? So I became the first CFO of that company. Uh, it was an AIM-listed business uh, called Huvo PLC. It's still listed on AIM. It's now called Dodds Group PLC, although it's, uh, it's a shadow of what we built it into, uh, unfortunately, but that's life. So I joined that business, and over the next three and a half years, we raised £60 million on AIM, uh, bought seven other companies, um, took over another public company. So I've done an acquisition under takeover panel rules and all of that. And it was, it was an incredibly exciting but exhausting time. And after three and a half years, I, I needed to do something different. So I started looking around and um, ended up being approached by the uh, chief executive of another AIM-listed business that was a company that had been what I call a dot-com survivor. So that it had been one of those dot-com businesses launched in the late 90s and, and was still around in 2006. Um, and they were looking for an experienced AIM-listed CFO. I joined them. 
um, and we did some expansion stuff. And then in, in the spring of 2008, we got wind that our largest global competitor was up for sale. Um, so we raised 28 million on the stock exchange, bought them, did a huge global integration, ripped out a lot of costs, did corporate reorgs and all of that. We were operating in 23 countries around the world. Um, came back to the city and said, we've done all the integration work. We've done everything. It's all running according to plan. And the following week, Lehman Brothers went bust. Oh, God. So that was, um, that was challenging because, you know, when you've, when you've done a major global restructuring, you, you, it's hard to move quickly. And when, when six million pounds of revenue that you're expecting in Q4 doesn't materialize, it falls all the way to the bottom line. Um, so... There were lots of changes. The chief exec got fired. A new chief exec came in. Uh, we did a rescue rights issue. I got the debt refinanced. But it was pretty clear to me that the new chief exec and I didn't see eye to eye. So I decided to, to leave. And that was at the end of 2010. Um, and then I had what I call my midlife crisis moment. I, I launched a wine business. So, so from what I want to describe is just um, fast pace, high finance, M and A's restructuring, raising funds, reorgs to wine business. How yep. the heck did that happen? Uh, well, so I was, I was, I was sitting with my wife and kids talking about you know that I wasn't happy and was looking at moving on and wanted to do something different. And, and spent a lot of time kind of thinking, I, I want to follow my passion. And after talking with a lot of friends and family and thinking about it myself, it, uh, it boiled down to either wine or music um, as, as, as my two kind of core passions. And my, both of my daughters, who were then teenagers, just looked at me and said, Dad, you're too old for the music business, but wine would be perfect. <laughs> so I launched a wine business um, right into the heart of the post financial crisis crunch. Nobody wanted to buy wine. Nobody knew me as someone who knew anything about wine. And even though I was passionate about it, yeah, it was, it was an interesting ex experience. I, I still have the wine business today. I still have a, a handful of clients who basically outsourced their wine buying to me. Um, I, I'm, I'm the wine business's largest customer by some measure. So as my best friend says, I get to drink good wine at wholesale prices and enjoy my hobby in a tax effective way. That, 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 that's the finance and accounting side of you kicking in there. Exactly. So, exactly. Uh, and so over the last um, eight years, I have uh, built up a portfolio of different finance roles, um, a number of companies where I've invested in the companies as well. And that's kind of morphed and adapted and changed. And, and um, uh, earlier this year, I published a book. Um, so my book is called Add Then Multiply. And basically it's, it tells the story of the journey I've been on, particularly focused at the fundraising and the acquisitions and the exits and all that. So I've, I've developed a, model, a methodology called FACE, which stands for Fund, Acquire, Consolidate, and Exit. And um, so that came out in July. I'm delighted to say that it became an Amazon number one bestseller. Um, and I'm now looking at building up um, mastermind programs to work with founders of, of entrepreneurial businesses. I'm sector agnostic. I want to find people who are interested in growth and who are open-minded to the fact that they don't necessarily have to own 100% of the company in order to scale up and that actually they can create a lot more value by raising external capital and doing acquisitions. Wow, I, 
Look, I, 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 I don't know about uh, how Rawlins are, are thinking about your story or, or processing it, but, but David, I mean, sounds like sounds like an amazing whirlwind of just so many brilliant experiences. You know, um, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm actually trying to figure out where to where to start. Maybe, maybe let's actually, maybe let's go actually through through some of the notes I've been taking. Sure. So, um, and and we'll we'll link it into our audience. So, one of the things I thought you raised a lot it was around the being involved in the PR industry early days. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of that, I mean that that I don't know if that's changed much or whatever, but I guess in terms of the expectation on finance professionals. Uh, I, I suppose we're now expected to be a bit more visible to the business nowadays. I think that's a bit of a buzzword, yeah. uh, getting out from behind our desk and all that sort yeah. of stuff. You know, having worked in PR yourself and observed uh, the industry up up close, I mean, is there any sort of lessons we could learn in finance that we could bring into our uh, our work so we could be a bit more visible or, or learn from public relations? Uh, as you touched on, Andrea, get out of your office, get out into the business, talk to the people who are on the front line, talk to the people who have the relationships with the clients, talk to the other directors in the company, let them know that you're interested in them, let them know that you're interested in what's going on, find out from them what is it they want from you, as opposed to you just saying, you know, here's, here's this month's financial statements. Um, and you know, beat someone up because their budget for revenue was a hundred grand, and they only hit ninety-seven. Um, and 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 you know, just deal with your colleagues in the business at a human level, and show interest in who they are and what they're doing. Yeah. I, okay. So look, that that this just makes complete common sense to me, <laughs> and, and I'm glad you laid it out that way, David. But but really, I mean, there's nothing difficult to that, is there? I mean, in your experience. Going through those things, I mean, I, I completely exactly get what you're saying, but for audience, is there anything to be worried about yes. or be aware of when they're doing that? So, as you say, there's nothing difficult about it apart from inertia. Um, and it's very easy as finance professionals to say, you know, we've got these deadlines, we've got these schedules, we've got to get this stuff done. It's, you know, nose to the grindstone, let's get on with it. But if you're a leader in the finance function, if you're a leader in any function in an organization, you've got to get out and know the people that you're dealing with who are your, you know, effectively your customers. And, and I guess having run my own business for a long time, it's, it's different because I understand that kind of customer interface. And if you've, if you've only ever worked in a big company in the finance role, perhaps you don't understand that as, as instinctively. Um, or as 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 viscerally, um, but just just put yourself in the perspective of you know yes I've got an important job to do as a finance professional, how could I do a better job? Well, interact with the people who need what I'm providing and find out if I'm providing them with exactly what they need. And it, it could be that actually you know just from a a simple conversation with let's say a sales and marketing director, um, all of a sudden they'll say well actually what I really need is this and I can never get it. And you just just think, oh my God, that's so easy. I can produce that for yeah. you every day, every week, whatever. And just get that, get that relationship going and, and demonstrate on a one-to-one connection basis how you can add value to other people. But and 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 ask them, ask them what they want. Yeah, it comes back. It comes back, but like it sounds, it seems like asking a lot of questions, not just to them, but also how we overcome the inertia as well. Yeah. You know, the, and, and using that as an excuse not to do it. When actual fact, when you, you mentioned the key word there, I think, you know, David, value. Value is the key word there. Yes. It's how do we find the value 
is it more valuable that you know to the business not just ourselves but to the business that we we try and make our deadlines or how we just balance uh, going asking and engaging building connections with the rest of the business and sorry and, and, and if i can just jump in there find out what the other people value as opposed to what you think they might value exactly oh yeah yeah Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, although I do find that though, for for uh, accountants and finance professionals, Dave, I found that very difficult because it sometimes feels like we need to know all the answers uh, to be seen as credible and accurate and so on. When actually you hit, you hit the nail on the head, it's not really about what we think or we think or we're expected to know what the other person wants. Uh, the best way is just go ask them. Yeah, you know, earlier in my career, I always thought I had to know all the answers. I had to be the smartest guy in the room. I had to do that. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, as 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 you get older and gain more experience, you come to realize that it, it doesn't have to operate that way. And 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 actually, if you go about being the guy who thinks he knows all the answers, people can people can kind of think you're a bit of a know-it-all git. And yes. and, <laughs> and and it's it's okay to it's okay. And, and again, you know, perhaps you wouldn't say in the middle of a board meeting, oh, my God, I no, have no, no idea and I've never thought of that. But if you're in a one-on-one well, discussion with someone and they come up with something and you don't know the answer, look at them and say, wow, that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but I'll find out. Yeah, that that's, yeah. And, and again, that's playing to our strengths in, in finance. We typically have a broad view and we're very quick at figuring out where the answer will lie. Uh, who might know the answer because yeah. of that that bit broader visibility and access to data and decision makers. So I, I'm glad you made that point because we wouldn't want listeners going away and in boardrooms saying, I don't know, that probably would be a career limiting move. So thanks for thanks for throwing that in no, there, David. No worries. <laughs> and, um, and then just, just, just following that through, you then sort of go on to become a consultant. You said you never sold before. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was, I mean, like, okay, consulting is pretty cool for, for, for accountants and finance professionals because, you know, we're sort of, we're relatively smart. We know a bit, we've got some good models, good training. Um, I, I suppose on on the other hand, then with the gig economy emerging, it could be mean that the future for a lot of us will be in working for ourselves. I mean, what was the biggest challenge or eye-openers for you, David, when you when you jumped in? I, I, I would say the biggest challenge for me, uh, and it was even bigger when I launched the wine business than when I launched the consulting business, was having, and it was in my head as opposed to anywhere else, but was having the credibility to go out. And, and, and it was like in the wine thing, I thought in my head, well, I know everything about wine. I've gone to night school. I've done my wine trade qualifications. So it's great. And I can talk about wine. And I would go out and meet people that I knew in the city who I knew had lots of money and who I knew enjoyed wine. And they were like, well, you're, you're, you're the CFO of an aimlisted business. Why are you trying to flog me wine? And, and, and I just didn't get that at first. And, you know, eventually it, it came through and, and, and I'm, I'm so grateful to the to the people who who did get that and who are still clients of my wine business, but it's very very small, so it's 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 a hobby, not a business. But no, I, in terms of like the gig economy and all of that, I think I would say two key lessons that I've learned, and I would never have thought of them beforehand, but just having been through the experience, um, the first one is. Don't try and be all things to all people. Find something that you're really good at, that you're known for, and become a specialist in that area. You know, if you, th- if you think of the, all of the opportunities that are out there as being in a great big pie, 
Well, it doesn't matter if your slice of the pie only takes up, you know, one or two degrees of arc out of the whole 360 degrees. If you can dominate those one or two degrees of arc and be known as the expert in that area and be known as the guy or girl who knows everything to do with that and who has the contacts, you will have more than enough work. You'll get paid better because you'll be much more credible. And, and it's, it seems counterintuitive, but it's true. When you actually get approached by someone and say, oh, can you do this? And you say, actually, that's not what I do, but I know someone who does it. That gives you huge, huge credibility. And I've had a couple of things where I've said that to people and three, six, nine months down the line, they've come back to me and said, hey, remember me, I've met someone who needs what you do and they've referred me in and I've won clients as a result of that. So that's number one. And then number two, when you're in the face-to-face -face selling situation, you need to really, I think the most important thing is don't think, oh my God, I've got to sell this gig because you know I've got to put food on the table and the mortgage bill's coming up at the end of the month and all that. You, you cannot go into it in that mindset. If you do, you're sending all these signals out and people are just going, ooh, there's something weird here. What you want to do is you want to get into the mindset of the person you're talking with. What is it that they value? What are the problems that they face? What are the issues that, that they need resolving in their world? And once you understand that, if what you offer can help them, then you can offer it to them, not, hey, I'm trying to sell you something, but hey, I know what your problems are like. I've done this before, would this help? Blah, 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 and that might lead to a sale. And equally, and again, it comes back to the other point, if once they've told you what they value doesn't match with what you do, don't try and flog them something. Agree, yep, yep, oh, very true. Um, that that's uh, I, I I love those two bits of advice there, David. Thanks. Uh, and 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 look, there's another area I think our audience could do with your advice on, and I even and I could as well. I um I dabbled in the private equity world, um uh, as a as a consultant myself, and I would say I found the pace really really tough going. It was just as well I was commuting from where my family were in Ireland to to London every every week, yeah. so they didn't see the crazy hours I worked. But um, again, you might have got a better handle on it when you were out there raising the funds, doing the M&As, reorgs, restructurings and exits and, and so on. Um, I mean, how, how can someone best prepare, if that's at all possible, for a career in, in such, uh, I'll call it high finance, but, but a really sort of um, a brutal, demanding area of finance, yeah. such as, such yeah. as you were involved good, in? Good, how someone good question. Um, you you have to be ready for the intensity and it can get very intense. And, and, you know, I, I, I remember many occasions sitting in lawyers offices at three o'clock in the morning, haranguing over one or two final points in the sale and purchase agreement. Um, and, you know, you just, you, you kind of get used to that, but, but I guess then the most important thing is when you're doing that, you've also got to be able to find your downtime. And that can be really tricky. You know, if you're working in an organization, let, let's say you're, you know, if you're working for a PE firm or a corporate finance house or a big bank even, you know, it, it, it can be very intense and, and relentless. And it's really, really important for you to find a way that works for you, that works within the organization you're working in, that allows you to have downtime. Um, and so, 
you know, as a for instance, so I've had a quite a busy week this week. Um, but uh, this afternoon, uh, my wife and I are catching a train down and then catching the ferry over to the Isle of Wight to to visit our our, our daughter and son-in-law for the for a long weekend. Um, you know, and, and and that's been put into the diary. And like at three o'clock, I'm gone. I'm signed off. Um, I'll be back on Monday afternoon. Um, and, and it's just important to have that. And, you know, sometimes you can only do that for an evening or on a weekend. And sometimes you work in organizations and they get very demanding. And you, you, you need to reach a point where you say, I'm willing to do that for a certain amount of time. But, you know, at the end of the day, I remember years ago, one one uh, one of my um, early mentors, I guess I'd call him, uh, said, you know, every now and then you've got to ask yourself the question, is my job worth dying for? And, and I've never answered yes. But it's a serious question. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, and, and, and I've been through intense periods and they are, you know, that, that, that period with the global integration when, when, when we bought our largest global competitor. I mean, over a 12-month period, I did 13 trips to Los Angeles. Because the other company, their parent, their, their their head office was in LA, and 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 so we were out there negotiating the deal and all that, and then the integration, and then I had the job of shutting down their head office. So, you know, there was a lot of away time from the family, and you know, you've got to work out ways to balance that, especially when your kids are young. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely, definitely, and 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 um, you know, with such which long haul travel, I know we're going into details here, David, but like. Again, was it that sort of similar principle? You just had that time or discipline around the time, the downtime, so that you could, yeah. um, you know, not just invest in your work, but invest in your family too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And, 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 and you know, in, 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 in this day and age with, with communications and stuff, it's so easy, you know, you can, you can call anybody for free on WhatsApp or FaceTime or, you know, uh, Zoom calls and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's yeah. It's it's it. It makes it much easier to keep in contact. Um, it's just important that you do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. Com- completely agree on that one. No, no. Um, I, I can't believe we've been talking for as long as we have, and there's a few more things I'd love to get to. Um, one of them is I thought you underplayed it a bit when you said you're a best-selling author. Yeah. Um, a lot that that title gets banded around a lot, but. But the reason why I think, you know, you, you need to probably call it out a bit more, David, is you actually did that without changing the selling price of the book, like a lot of folks do, like out there. That's correct. You know, yeah. to get so the volume the book, sales. So, yeah. So, the, so the book, the book launched in July. Um, it went live on Amazon on a Wednesday morning. <clears throat> and um, I just put a whole bunch of messages out on social media and said, you know, I, I mean, I'd been blogging about the book. So the people that were in my networks were aware that I was writing a book and were aware that it was coming out. And all of a sudden, here it was. And I put these messages out. Um, and when you list on Amazon, you're allowed to pick three categories that your book gets tracked in. Uh, so the three that I picked were corporate finance, venture capital, and strategic management. Um, and so I put these messages out on my on my on my social media on the Wednesday and followed it up on the Wednesday evening. And late on the Wednesday, I had got to number two or number three in in both the corporate finance and venture capital categories. And I never broke the top twenty on on the strategic management. But um, I remember reaching out to the publisher and saying, "Hey, you know, this has happened. What should I do?" And he said, "Push it hard." 
he, <laughs> he said, you're so close, you know, no, no idea how, no idea how much ahead of you number one is, but keep going because if you've made it to two or three on your first day, that's just fantastic. So I put out, I put out a message on, on my social media on the Thursday morning. Um, and then I went for a run. I just thought I'm just going to clear my head. Uh, I came back and I was up to number two. Um, and so I did a screenshot. Uh, and again, when you, when, you, when you publish, you can get screenshots of where your rankings are and who's above you and below you and all that. And um, so I put out a screenshot and, and the number one uh, was Ben Bernanke. Uh, the number two was me. And I can't remember the title of the number three book, but it was something that had always been up near the top. And I, I, I decided to make it a bit more humorous message. I, and, and I wrote out and I said, can we knock Ben Bernanke off the top spot? Now, I'm, I'm imagining most finance people will know who Ben Bernanke is. But just in case they don't, he used to be the chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve Board. So kind of a big deal. Yeah, massive deal. And yeah. so I put this message out saying, can we do it? And, and pushed it and sent it out through WhatsApp groups and sent it out through Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. And about lunchtime on the Thursday, I went and refreshed the Amazon screen. And my God, I was at number one. And I just went, wow. <laughs> and, and, and the most amazing thing, Andrew, was that I was still at number one on Saturday morning. Uh, I've not That's been back crazy. to number one since. And I don't know at the moment how many copies I've sold because Amazon only send you royalty stuff every six months. Um, yeah. So I'm sitting here thinking, I have no idea, but hey, I am a Amazon number one best-selling author. Yeah, no, I, I, I love you sharing that story because I, I wanted to serve as an example to an audience that like, you know, who says, that, you know, uh, just because you're an accountant or finance person, you don't have influence. You know, if we leverage the, the right tools at our disposal, you, you can be very influential. And also, you know, um, I think there's a statistic out there, something like 80% of people want to write a book but only 2% ever do. Yeah. So how the heck did you, with everything else going on, David, you're, you're, you're very much in demand. How did you even carve out the time to write, write, write a book? Is it coming back to, to well, making sure you I had, it's, it's very interesting. You asked, I had, I had been involved in a long-term gig with a client that came to an end in December. Um, and I had been in that business two days a week and all of a sudden that gig finished and I had two days a week and I thought, this is a sign. Um, this, this is, you know, this is, this is the universe saying, right, David, do your thing. Um, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to sit down and write the book that I've been talking to for, uh, talking about for a long time. I did a, I did a, 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 a sort of a, a business accelerator program four years ago called key person of influence. Um, and anybody who's thinking about going out on their own or doing their own kind of thing, I would highly recommend that they check it out, keypersonofinfluence.com. Um, and there's a book and, 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 and a whole program that runs for nine months. And one of the things within that program is that they encourage you to write a book. And so I did. I sat down and took the time. And, you know, some days it was easy and it flowed beautifully. And there were days when I sat at my desk and I got to the end of the day and it was like, my God, I've written 300 words. And yet, and yet other days I'd, I'd, I'd just be completely in flow. And my wife would call me and say, it's dinner time. And I kind of look down and go, oh my God, I've written 6,000 words today. Uh, so yeah, everyone's writing style will be different. But um, I think having written a blog for a couple of years made it a lot easier because I was used to the concept of writing and I had 
kind of found my voice and stuff. Um, so I did the first, I did the first draft of the book and then I sent it out to four very good, very critical friends and said, don't be nice. I want your honest feedback. Um, and they came back to me with a lot of really, really useful suggestions. Um, so I rewrote the front end of the book and made some tweaks at the back end and then sent it to the publisher and it went through two, a cycle of two professional edits with the publisher where they, you know, they do the full publishing thing. Um, and, um, and then it was all done by the end of May and then the, it kind of went into the typesetting and the proofreading and, and all that jazz and it, it, it launched on the 5th of, uh, of July. Yeah, well, well, look, again, I think incredible success. And again, just appreciate your openness and sharing that story and how, how you did it. And again, I mean, it, I, I, I don't know, I mean, having written a book myself as well, David, again, got it, got, got to category bestseller status on Amazon. I just thought it was a really great way of organizing thoughts. And, and, one thing you, and congratulations um, to you too. Uh, no, no, it, it was a while ago. So, uh, Probably need to try and give it another go again. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, but you know what? That's that's a title that nobody can ever take away from you. No, no, it's true. And again, like yourself, didn't change the price or anything. It, you know, sold at the value of the book. So, um, so, so, but, but in terms of organize those thoughts, you did mention your face methodology, and again, I really like how you've done that. So, would you maybe mind just going into that for audience? I think it was fund acquire, consolidate, and exit. Yeah. But why? Why did you? Why did you go through the full cycle of particularly? you know, like including exit as well, which some people don't generally think about. Well, my, so my target audience for clients, for the book, for the kind of people I'm hanging around with right now um, are entrepreneurs who've started a business, built it up to a certain size. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at businesses that employ 10 people or more, you know, they've got turnover of at least a million, preferably two or more, uh, so they've they've got something that they've built that is established, but maybe they're finding it hard to grow from there. And and, and you know you want because once once you reach a certain size, it's um, you know all of a sudden you get you get you get a lot more competition and you're out there pitching for bigger things and different opportunities. And I've you know I've I've seen that in so many businesses that I've come across both in the profession from years ago and and also during my career where. You know, you, you, you keep slogging it out and looking at different ways to grow and it's, you know, well, let's try this and let's do this and, you know, we'll do a new marketing campaign and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't and all of this. And when you look at bigger corporates, over the years, they've all done acquisitions and stuff. And so I, I just started to think, let's take what I've learned and figure out how to apply it for the entrepreneur who's started the business and built it up to a certain size. And, and the reason I decided to include the exit side was actually, you know, thinking back to that famous quote from Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind. And, you know, I I, I certainly know some entrepreneurs who, who, who have built up successful businesses and are having so much fun. They're saying, well, you know, yes, I'll exit one day, but right now I'm having a lot of fun. Um, (laughs) You know, and then there are other entrepreneurs who say, you know, oh my God! If only I could get rid of this thing. It's such a drain on on whatever. Um, but I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to work with people who who I can help them to say, right, I'm at this stage. I want to grow. I want to build this. I want to turn it into something that I can sell. And then most importantly, and this is a kind of a personal value thing for me as well. Once you've sold and you've got your 
I don't know, let's say 10 million or 5 million or whatever. What are you going to do next? And, and mm -hmm. for me, it's really important to find people who, when you ask them that, what are you going to do next thing? It's, I, I'm not particularly interested in working with people who want to sell up and make 10 million and go sit on a beach and ride around in a yacht. To me, that's just kind of selfish. I'm interested in people who want to try and change the world. So I want to work with people who say, right, well, when I've made my millions, I'm going to go out and do these good things, or I'm going to create a, a charitable foundation, or, you know, I'm going to do that kind of stuff. And one of, one of the guys I work with, and I've helped him raise money with and, and, and have an ongoing relationship, and I'm a part owner of the company, um, we've recently launched a foundation, and we're currently um, building a library at a school in Kenya. Uh, it was a school that was built by Rotary International, and they ran out of money. And um, uh, so they got the, all of the core school bits built, but the library was a slab of concrete with steel rebars sticking up from it in the middle of the playground. So the kids were running around. We won't even go into the health and safety issue. Um, but they didn't have a library. Um, so, so through this business, we're raising money and we're doing external activities. Uh, there's a group of us at the end of this month are going to run a half marathon to raise money for the for the foundation and and we're going to fund the building of this library and it's it's going to be not just a library for a school but it's going to be open in the evening so that adults in the community can also have access to it and one of the things that I've been pushing on because you know when you get into places like rural Kenya um, broadband access isn't always very good. So I've been saying, well, let's look at getting satellite internet so that, you know, everybody can get good high-speed broadband. And, you know, how can we make the world a better place? And that's just one example. So I'm, yeah, so I'm, I'm ideally looking for people who want to grow and want to turn it. And it might be that they say, look, I'm young. I mean, I'm working with a, a, a founding team. Uh, both of them are in their late 20s. They've built up a business that turns over just under 2 million now. They're thinking, we've done this for four or five years you know, it's been fun, but let's move on and do our next thing. But I'm already working with them and kind of coaching them into, well, that's great, but, you know, what's your bigger purpose? Yeah, and I, and, and I think it's not, not just for those in uh, entrepreneurs as well. I think that's that's key for finance professionals, whether we're, we're you know, working for ourselves or supporting um, our businesses, you know, is it's identifying with that purpose because, with that, without that, like, I mean, what, what are we doing it for? You know, it, what, what's the end game? Yeah, yeah, completely. It makes us better human beings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, so, 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 so David, look, um, I mean, you've been giving us fantastic advice, like throughout the course of our conversation. And again, I want to be respectful of your time. But before I let you go, I mean, has there been um, sort of any best bits of advice or maybe what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? Ooh, that's a good question. It didn't always work. And, and the wine business was an example of it. But, you know, perhaps that was just part of the journey. Um, but I remember years ago, someone, it was an HR director, told me about a book called Do What You Love, The Money Will Follow. That was pretty cool. Um, and the other one I think, and, and again, it's linked to a book and, and, and other stuff is, is, is Simon Sinek. Start with why. Yes. Yeah. Coming so, back to and that's this. So that's so powerful. And, and, and as you oh. know, if, if anyone hasn't seen Simon Sinek's Ted talk, go out and watch yes. it. It's like 17 minutes. It's, uh, it's a TEDx talk. 
Um, it's the third or fourth most viewed TED talk. And it's fabulous. And it's the whole thing is, you know, his, his underlying theme there is people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, 100%. So so that that is actually a great recommendation. I, I was actually going to ask you for some some more recommendations, uh, David. Obviously, I think you know um, our audience if they feel that, that they'd find value in Add Them Multiply, uh, buying an Amazon bestseller book, they should check that out. So obviously your book, David. Thank you. But um, but also, what uh, what other resources would you recommend our audience go follow up on? Uh, well, I've mentioned. I mean, and again, this is if people are going out on their own. I mentioned something called yeah. Key Person of Influence. Yes. So just keypersonofinfluence.com and there's a book by a chap called Daniel Priestley. I highly recommend that. Um, apart from that, um, I mean, I joined an entrepreneur's organization six or seven years ago. I'm not a member of it anymore, but I, I got a lot out of it at the time. And I remember one of the first things that the guy who ran it said was just read Go out and read. Mm. Read books about other people that you admire. Read books about things that you're interested in. Um, and, and it's interesting. I, I, I probably read 40 or 50 books a year, and I'll often have half a dozen on the go at the same time that I just dip in and out of. Um, I don't read a lot of fiction anymore. I, I read fiction when I'm on holiday, um, but mm. most of the time I read nonfiction. And, you know, there is, there's just so much good stuff out there you know, read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a great book. Um, that was a good one. Read, you know, read, you know, read the biography of Steve Jobs. Read, read anything about Warren Buffett. Read stuff mm -hmm. about people that you admire. Um, read stuff about things that you didn't know. There is so much information out there, and it's so easy to gather. And, and if you don't like reading, watch stuff on TED. Watch, you know, watch stuff on YouTube. Don't, 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 you know, don't spend too much time watching things of cats and dogs and all that kind of crap that you see. But, you know, if you're looking to develop yourself, there's, there's so much that's out there. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but invest your time wisely in, in becoming, becoming what you see of, as, as a better person. Yeah. Yeah. But so some great resource actually we've touched on some some books and one thing i actually um i didn't re realize was you know you were sort of saying there's so much other stuff out there so the autobiographies as well I, I picked up a book the other day on nature reading the um the trees you know the the way the leaves are yes. on trees and the way the branches yes. grow i mean like and i thought that was really good to be able to pass on to to our kids because i wonder if those skills are really being discussed anymore absolutely I'm just this fascinated by nature around us it's funny know? you mentioned that andrew a, a, a few months ago um my sister-in-law gave me a book and it's called the secret life of trees oh right absolutely <laughs> fascinating yeah so so like it's amazing and and it's just amazing what what's out there yeah. and it's so accessible so that thanks for thanks for calling that out david and and you know should some of our audience wish to continue the conversation where's best to connect with you at uh the best way to reach me is um either on twitter which is david underscore b underscore horn that's h-o-r-n-e um or my email address is dbh delta bravo hotel um, so dbh at addthenmultiply.com. And since the audience is all financial people, I'll say two things. One, they know how to spell add then multiply because sometimes I have to spell it out. And two, 
I like to be a bit of a rule breaker because in, in arithmetic theory, you multiply before you add, but I think it's better to add and then multiply because you end up with a bigger result. So dbh at addthenmultiply.com. I, I can't believe I never asked you to explain that one before, but yeah, now I get it. So <laughs> thanks for that one. And uh, before before we let you go, um, and, and you know, to enjoy your, your afternoon off to the Isle of Wight, would you maybe sort of have any parting thoughts for our audience? Be brave, follow your passion. If you feel you're in a job or a, or a company or anything that you're stuck, start looking elsewhere. Uh, life is too short. Don't, don't, don't get stuck in things. You know, I've, I've seen far too many people get into a situation where they've, 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 they've got a great job in a, in a big bank or a big corporate or a big consulting firm. And, you know, they're making good money and all that. And then all of a sudden they hit 50 years old and they burn out completely and they have heart attacks and strokes and stuff like that. Life's too short. Do not stick around in something that is not giving you value and happiness. Yeah, that's a, what, a, what a great way to, way to wrap up. Um, so, so, so look, David, thank you just so much for sharing your, your, your career journey. There was so much in there. Uh, I don't normally keep our guests on as long, as long as this. I was being completely selfish uh, on behalf of our audience. So thank you so much for investing the time with us and coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.